1: Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside J.J. Cooper, back from winter break. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind you all that a prospect handbook has now been sent to the presses. You can order it online, baseballamerica.com store, see all the prospects we're going to be talking about on this podcast, and many more, 900 many scouting more. reports. 900 plus scouting reports.
0: Um, we often get the question, so why buy it directly from Baseball America? And there are a couple of reasons. One, we're going to give you a supplement that gives you an extra prospect per team. Uh, including two, an extra giant's prospect. Including an extra giant's prospect. Two, you also get it much, much earlier. Um, we will get our hands on the books and start shipping them out roughly weeks, close to a month. I wouldn't go a month, but weeks before if you order it from anyone else. Amazon, wherever. If you're waiting to see it show up in your bookstore, you're going to be waiting weeks later than you are to order it directly from BaseballAmerica.com. So go ahead
1: and give it a shout. Now we're going to dive into uh, Giants prospects. JJ, this was obviously a team, three World Series in five years. They made the playoffs. It was only last year. Well, I should say last year, 2016. But
0: it is hard to remember that 2016...
1: Right, they made the playoffs. They won that one-game playoff. They they lived up in some way to their even year pattern definitely this year obviously everything completely fell off bad years for the Giants this was worse than normal now you look at this team we've already seen they're you know they're not stripping it down they're adding to it uh the person who was number four on the Giants top 10 Christian Arroyo has since been traded to uh the Rays as part of the package for Evan Longoria the Giants are going to go for it I feel like that might be I want to say their only option, but it kind of is the best option for them. You still have Posey. You still have Crawford. Some of the pitchers have gotten older, but you still have Bumgarner. I I do feel like you can see a scenario here where they keep adding. They have a little bit of a bounce back here uh, rather than stripping it all down. What is your perception of the Giants and their plan moving forward 2018, 2019, 2020?
0: I I think what you said is kind of true that I don't know what choice they have because this is an aging team. The core of this team The the things that are a little discouraging if you're a Giants fan right now is is the core no longer can be described as here's your young core. Your core is predominantly guys who are going to be 30 or older in the 2018 season. Uh, Even Brandon Belt, if you're counting Brandon Belt as part of the core, Brandon Belt is no longer a young player on the rise. You are talking about players who in many cases have a Joe panic is your young position player but this is a team that is that you are counting on bounce back years much more than you are guys who are going to be getting better because they're just growing into their peak but the other part of it is is this is a team that has a lot of money devoted to a lot of players and many of these players are not exactly players Your choices are, if you did a teardown, again, you could get a lot for Buster Posey if you wanted to trade Buster Posey, but most of these guys, if you did a teardown, are not going to net you massive amounts. Jeff Samarja is not going to net net you a massive deal right now. Johnny Cueto is much more valuable hoping that you get Johnny Cueto in 2018 to be the Johnny Cueto we've seen many times in the past than it is to trade him right now coming off
1: of a season that's not as good as Johnny Cueto at his best. Plus, you'd be selling low on Brandon Crawford. You'd be selling low on Brandon Belt. So I do think that the Giants, it does make sense to me for them to go for it in 2018. We saw them make a, a really nice first-round pick this last year. They're going to have the number two overall pick. So I do feel like you can see a scenario where the Giants, some of these guys bounce back, they're better at the big league level, while they also improve their system a little bit this year. To me, this wasn't a case of, they're screwed, tear it all down and start over. But
0: there are some things that they as of yet have not really fully been able to do that. Let's still a hole. Because let's <laughs> okay, let's just look at this on the on the big league level. Okay, so we've added they've added Evan Longoria. Which you are hoping that you are still getting Evan Longoria, who's still Has a lot left to give. He had
1: a very, very good 2016. I think because the Rays were out of it, a lot of people were under the radar. That's where he hit his most home runs in any single season. Down in 2017, still not a horrendous year. Right. A lot of money, though, tied in. You know, you still have a a,
0: a big contract left. But the other problem is, the, the, the problem that they face, and hey, they tried to be in on Giancarlo Stanton, which would have fixed a lot of problems. But this is a team... And Longoria helps a little bit. But it is a team in a ballpark that is hard to hit home runs in. But this is a team that is almost devoid of power in a game right now. They need, for the Giants to be successful, unless they did a teardown, they need the game to go back to more of what it was when they were successful. The game has changed on them. And if you look, when we look at this Giants top 30, Take Helio Ramos and Chris Shaw, who are one and two on this list, out of it. The rest of the Giants' hitting prospects, Hermes Garcia, I would say, fits in this a little bit. He has power, too. But most of them would be described as well-rounded players. Austin
1: Slater, Ryan Howard, Jacob Gonzalez.
0: You know, well-rounded Stephen players. Steven Steven Duggar, Brian Reynolds. They're well-rounded players, but what they would not describe them as is power is not usually... Their best tool or their second best tool. And the thing about it is is this has been the Giants' approach. They have a big ballpark and all. If you look at the successful Giants teams, not that they have not hit home runs, but the core that they brought up, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Joe Panik, when they had Matt Duffy, these are all guys who when they were coming up. For
1: first edition Pablo Sandoval didn't first, have, had some power, but, but it was but, never but it was, 35 but Usually
0: 40. it's been hit right. above, it's power. Been above power. And so what's happened is, is that the game has become, you look at how many home runs they hit. I I mean, there are stats, you'll see them if you get the prospect handbook. We also had them when we posted the Giants top 10. But this is a team that has no slugger, had no slugger in 2017. In a league where everyone hits home runs. They're now, so what they used to be is that they were, Uh, we're going to put together rallies because we're going to hit, you know, for average, we're not going to strike out a ton. And they also had a pitching staff that never gave up home runs. Now they give up home runs and they don't hit them. And the reality of it is, is that, as you said, Helio Ramos, Elliot, I'm sorry, I always say Elliot, but Elliot Ramos. Elliot Ramos is a great pick that they got to get him where they got him went out and destroyed the AZL. And Showed huge power. And he is a guy that, when I say destroy the AZL, what is significant about that is, is that it doesn't obviously guarantee him success. So for a Puerto Rican kid. But we are talking about no one has ever questioned Ramos's tools. He can run. He, uh, he has raw power. Ramos coming into the draft, the questions were, how well will he hit with a wood bat against more advanced competition. So far, (laughs) you could not ask for better than going out and hitting 348 in the AZL with power, with speed, with not, and he struck out a good bit, but not an absurd amount of strikeouts. Everything about that year was everything you wanted to see, and that is a clear number one in the
1: system. Absolutely, and I want to clarify what I what I said by the Puerto Rican. A lot of times, because just the nature of Puerto Rico and the way their baseball is set up, it's very different than the U.S. system. A lot of times, those kids are more raw. They take a little bit of an adjustment year. Just an example: Carlos Correa, right after he signed, that first year was not a great year. He needed an offseason. Oh, yeah his to first the half of the, the year, the next year after that in it, Quad City, he just he just kept getting better and better. And that's where not not saying Heliot Ramos, is, yeah. Elliot Ramos is Carlos Correa, but you get the point. A lot of times, the Puerto Rican kids it takes. Longer, so for him to adjust as quickly as he did is hugely promising. Uh, you know, we do get into the system a little bit. I think for me, when I look at the Giants, you know, I'm the biggest thing for me is you cannot have automatic outs in your lineup, particularly in the National League. And for the better part of the last year, the Giants have had virtually three automatic outs in their lineup whoever was playing left field, whoever was playing third base, Nunez did okay this year when he played, and, and they traded p- and, away, and, and, and their pitcher spot. Every time through their order, they had three automatic outs. You cannot have that. They've addressed with and, Longoria. You know, the, I will say that's where Chris Shaw and that that becomes interesting to me because to me, left field. Look, you still have Gorkys Hernandez. You still have J- the, the, the but, Gorkys Hernandez, Jarrett Parker, well, max Williams. I will say you got to throw
0: center field in that same equation because now, this is why you're talking true. about Stephen Duggar because and the Dinard reality Span is Denard Span has been traded Dinard, away, and and Denard Span stud. <laughs> and Denard Span was a problem for them because. But, again, the interesting issue you have, especially in a more power-oriented game, okay, Chris Shaw fits into this equation. That is a, that is, it's, it's like Kansas City in that these are expansive outfields. The Giants have generally viewed that what they need in the outfield, they're corner guys, have they're to not center
1: to co- fielders. They have to go to cover ground.
0: But they're not far off. And so their approach has generally been that you end up having guys who are in corners who may give up a little bit of power, but what you get in return is you get that ranginess and they've got a lot of ground to cover. Chris Shaw is not the rangy guy who's got a a lot of ground to cover, but what Chris Shaw does do is that he... Very well, if Chris Shaw got 550
1: at-bats next year, he probably leads that team at home runs. No question. And I think for me, so so we talked about Elliot Ramos is the clear-cut number one in the system, no question about it. Very much a top 100 prospect caliber type. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're putting this list together, Chris Shaw, in the past, just to give some context— I've generally been a higher-ish man on Chris Shaw. There have been other times, you know, you and I have had mm-hmm. some discussions about him. And I feel like, generally speaking, I've been a tad higher than you at times. Pro- probably so. because I. But, but overall, was he, for you, a clear number two in the system? Or was there a discussion, debate with you with, at the time, Christian Arroyo, Tyler Beattie? Two,
0: three, four are all a discussion. The thing about it is, though, is just, let's make clear. Number one, Elliot Ramos, like you said, clear top 100 guy. I don't see another top 100 guy in this because I look at this and I'm saying, Chris Shaw has power. He does. But he is going to give some of that back wherever you play him because he's 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 probably actually a little bit better in the outfield than he is at first base. But he's not particularly good. He's below average whichever spot you put him.
1: So it was interesting. I went up to Richmond this year mm-hmm. and just the coincidental timing of it, it was right when he started to move to left field. And one of the things that... that I thought was a positive. He had played right field, but it was in college, it was many years ago. He's in left field now. It was a situation where even talking to some of the pitchers, they, you know, they said he they could see the effort. This wasn't a guy who was just putting out there and pouting. They could see the effort. You started to see him, at least the games I saw him he came in okay, and he moved side to side okay. It was going back was a problem, and there, it's gonna take reps. I think as much as you know these guys are professional athletes, like anything else, the more you do it, the better you're gonna get. You know, I look at but him i, left yeah, field I compared that's true, to, to Reese Hoskins in left field, Chris Shaw it was better in left field but, than Reese Hoskins in left field. But the but but you so say prolific, but has been a while. But
0: the, the difference being though is is Reese Hoskins has always been a first baseman, Chris Shaw, for his career. If you add up Chris Shaw over the past six years. This is not where I know he played more right, right? This is BC, not but, yeah. but this is not something where Chris Shaw is all of a sudden being exposed to the outfield. That is his position. First base is the one and really, let's just again, I like Chris Shaw as a prospect, but let's be straightforward about it. One of the reasons he's moved back to the outfield is partly is because they have Brandon Belt right now. That's but the other reason about it is is that Chris shot first base, which was something that they knew was going to be a project when they moved him there. But he's... he's they are
1: all 15, all 16. But
0: he's not been that great there. Right. And so part of the reason you move him back to the outfield is, is there is this general feeling that he is a little better in the outfield. He, you're hoping he's a 40 defender in left, which, again, for most teams, if, this is, if we're talking about that he's going to play in Fenway... And he's playing with the green monster. You'd say, Well, oh, yeah, the we monster can, can be tricky, but yes, yeah, yeah." But, get your but you don't need the range. range is not, the
1: range is not. I, yes.
0: Compare that though. What with with what he's doing, and you go okay, because it's not just that you're going to play in San Francisco, because you're also going to play in Colorado a lot. You know, you're there. You have ballparks out there, Balls even San fly Diego. In Arizona.
1: You know, goes like, a big gap.
0: Right. So the point being is that if you play in the NL West and you're a defensively limited outfielder, it comes back to cost you more than it would, say, again. Like, I mean, again, you don't want to go overboard on this, but compare that to a left fielder who's playing in the AL East, and you're like, okay, well, Yankee Stadium, it's not that bad.
1: Toronto's, Toronto's straight you straightforward. Know, North- Tampa Bay.
0: Right. They're so, all straightforward. So you you do have a little bit more emphasis. But, no, when you say... Tyler Beattie's three on this list, mm-hmm. and Tyler Beattie, I don't want to have prospect fatigue. I want to try to avoid that, and it's hard with him because when you see Tyler Beattie at his best, he looks like a mid-rotation starter, but there's been a lot of times in his career where when you see him at his best, he's throwing strikes with, with, with above-average stuff. There's been as many times in his career where either the stuff backs up to average or the control is below average, which means that he's not really staying ahead of hitters. Right. There is some thought, you talk to scouts who think that he's a guy, he's, he's an intelligent dude, but it almost like they would love to see him basically simplify a little bit and just master a, a couple of pitches instead of having a, a pretty varied repertoire. So that's what fits in with him, and he's coming off of a year where, you know, he... Was hit around pretty well while not striking out a whole lot of guys while posting a mirror.
1: gave up over a hit an inning and over hundred innings. It was not, but you know, it's PCL, but you'd like to see at least a little more. And it's PCL, bats.
0: but Sacramento is not. It's there is
1: you are right, going to have to travel to Reno, but yes, you're not pitching half your games. <laughs> this in This is Reno not a guy who's Ve- pitching at Vegas or Salt
0: Lake or Reno, where your home park and your road <laughs> park. This is one where the home park is pretty fair, but admittedly, you are facing some some road parks that are pretty tough.
1: I do think for BD, you mentioned prospect fatigue. You know, I feel like he'll get his shot this year, see how he does, what his ultimate role is going to be. You know, do you feel like he will end up in a starting rotation? Do you think when all said and done, he ends up a part of their bullpen?
0: I think he'll get shots in the rotation. But the thing about it is with the Giants, we're talking about that they're going to continue going for it. Like you look at the Giants right now,
1: right now, when you say he's going to get a shot... That's Bumgarner, Cueto, Samarja. And by the way, Chris Stratton had a... Uh, or excuse me, Ty Black block. Black block. Didn't, didn't do terrible for a rookie. Right. And, and Chris Stratton... Didn't talk about, When we
0: talk about prospect fatigue, this is what I'm talking about with Beattie. Chris Stratton was as erratic, if not more. And Chris Stratton's stuff for the majority of his minor league career was not the equal of Tyler Beattie's. But Chris Stratton steadily got better. And that season he had this year was better than he's been for the majority of his minor league career. So, But what I'm saying with that is is that if those guys are all healthy, Tyler Beattie's not knocking on that door. He's headed back to AAA to start the season unless there are injuries. And But so when you say that, I still kind of think a lot of those guys, like, I mean, if you said who's going to be in the rotation in 2020, I still think probably Beattie fits into that. But it is going to be a little harder. Like, again, it depends on health. Uh, you know, and and the other part it does depend on is is okay, the Giants are going for it again. Let's see how that works out. If it doesn't work out, if you are sitting there and it is July of twenty eighteen and the Giants are ten games under five hundred, which is truly if you're a Giants fan or in the Giants front office, perish the thought, because that would that's be that's when you probably start at saying that point look. you do have to start saying, Okay. The, you know, everyone must go. I, again, not maybe everyone, but most everyone not, must go. But let me, one example of that, that I do think is an interesting, but the Giants' ballpark and what it does. Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt had a season last year that I think you could describe as perfectly acceptable, but nothing exceptional about it. That's, that's kind of what he is right now for them. And the funny thing about that is, is if you try to trade Brandon Belt because of that, and I know that teams are, are more intelligent now and all that, and you do look at how the ballpark affects him. But if you trade Brandon Belt, Brandon Belt's not going to probably net you a massive return. Okay, you get something. But again, right now, if you look at bat first, <laughs> there, are a lot of, there are a lot of available bat first free agents out there who you could have just for the, the, the price of the contract. If you if they traded Brandon Belt though, and he was put into a ballpark that is more conducive for what he is, if you
1: put him in Yankee Stadium,
0: he would be <laughs> he could be a star. Yeah, because Brandon Belt is a terrible fit to me for the ballpark that they have. Now that's not that's no fault of Belt or the Giants. Great job on their part. They yeah, draft if him, if in the a, him in the fifth sh- round a and developed him.
1: Short right field, you know, Yankee Stadium. Not the right. Phillies have room. You're talking about they have yeah. this
0: massive right field. Yeah. And so that limits Brandon Belt's value for them. But at the same time, if they end up selling him off, at some point there could very well be the, man, why did the Giants not get more for Brandon Belt? And it's like because the
1: ballpark that he plays in limits what he can do. There's no question. I, I want to circle back to mm-hmm. Beattie real quick. You know, one thing that's interesting to me, and this was brought up to me with, with the scout, not talking about Beattie, mm-hmm. but talked about a couple of Giants guys, you know, someone who has the Giants system. He brought up Kyle Crick as a guy that, hey, wild, wasn't sure what the heck was going on there, and came up last year, did a very nice job Mm -hmm. in the Giants' bullpen, still didn't throw a ton of strikes comparatively. You'd like to see the walk rate come down. But he he was on the right side of wild, not, uh uh-oh, you could not pitch this guy. Now, in fairness, Crick missed a lot more bats in the minor leagues than uh, Tyler Beattie did. He also needed three different years at Double X. So, I mean, I, I think that and, to me. And his, and
0: his season, he came into
1: 2017 coming
0: off of about as bad a season. I mean Have as, a 5-4 ERA in Richmond. No, but just, not just Richmond, more than a hidden inning. We're right, really right at a hidden inning. With 67 walks and 109 innings and 86 strikeouts, yeah. there was very little. And the thing about it is, is that the year before that, when he had gone to the pen, he had not shown the ability. His stuff, you always hope you put a guy in the pen that his stuff will tick up. When he went to the pen the his year before, got worse <laughs>
1: and, and his stuff, did, and death, his
0: stuff didn't get better. Yeah. like everything, everything about him coming into 2017 was every trend was in the wrong direction. And you're right. They put him in the pen. Mm-hmm. They simplified what he was doing. And... I still do think you have to be a little worried. He is not out of the woods yet where you say, oh yeah, don't worry about this guy in any way, shape, or form. That said, the stuff is as good as anyone pitching out of their pen, and he is good enough stuff-wise he doesn't have to be locating. He just has to be around the so, zone.
1: But but I think where it gets interesting is if you could see something like that with a BD where hey, it hasn't been perfect. Again, di- different pitchers, but mm-hmm. just that sense of you know top draft pick, top prospect type, where it hasn't gone smoothly, but at least there's still a potential major oh. league role there. Oh, I think and that there's a major league role for Tyler B. I I think that there's a major league role for Andrew Suarez,
0: who is right. also a top ten guy for them. You know, I I think that these, yeah, these dudes are. You know, <laughs> they're guys. Right. So you know, what they what they aren't, it's hard when we're talking about this and where the Giants are as a farm system. These aren't guys where you say, they don't have a guy in this system right now who you point to and say, he has all the attributes you're looking for in a front of the rotation starter. Right. Tyler Beattie is a guy at this point who, if everything lines up right, you hope he's a three. Realistically, he's more of a four or five. Starter, or as you said, he ends up being a useful reliever. Andrew Suarez is a guy who probably a five starter at right, best. Right, but useful you know, lefty. No, the the guy you know, Garrett Williams is the guy who you know he's number seven on this list before the trade. He's number six now. Garrett Williams, lefty, who has more middle of the rotation stuff. That being said, you know the the control has gotten better. It still has work to do. He's further away, and this past year was a giant step forward for him as far as control and
1: all that. So yeah, so I I want to dive into him a little. I mean, what he's he's the he's he's the highest upside these guys were talking about. He's you know San Jose when it got to San Jose this year. So Giants fans will probably start there again this year. You can drive uh, drive Mm -hmm. down, take a look at him. For those you know who haven't seen him, I mean, what were the reports you were getting on Williams? And you mentioned he's the highest upside. Why is that?
0: Well, it's fascinating what the Giants did two years ago in the draft is they went with a—I would describe it—I can't describe it as a risky draft because what they did is they took— Everyone who threw hard didn't care if it was over the plate, right? Everyone who threw hard and didn't throw it over the plate. Like, if you threw hard and got it over the plate, you, they were, you, were, you were already gone by the time they were drafting these guys. But we're talking about Crook, who they involved included in the uh, Longoria deal— you're talking about Garrett Williams. You're talking about Stephen Woods, who they included in the Longoria deal. You're talking about Alex Bostic from Clemson, who I think had 15 innings. His, uh, You know, you could go to Reagan Bazaar, you know, who had thrown a lot the year before, had been hurt, but had been wild, but with big stuff. They went with, we're going to take guys who have a chance to be something. Because like, again, we're talking about Garrett Williams a seventh-round pick. They took a seventh-round pick who has three pitches, and at his best, you could throw at least a six, if not a seven, on his fastball, and at least a six coming out into the draft. At his best, you could say, okay, maybe it's a six breaking ball. You don't get lefties who are 90 who, who who've been potential, talked about as potential first-round picks. You don't get those guys in the seventh round very often. Why do you get them in the seventh round? because he barely pitched his junior year because he was so wild that Oklahoma State really did not feel comfortable using him. Okay, that's why he falls. They took that chance and to their credit of their drafting and their player development, he's a he's a guy who's been well served by pro ball. In pro ball, he could go out there and if he pitched well, he's going to get the ball again in 5 days. If he pitched poorly, he was going to get the ball in five days. It's a little different than when you were in college where if he pitched well, he was going to get the ball in seven days, and if he pitched poorly, he wasn't because he was playing on a team, uh, you know, an Omaha-caliber team. And the reality of it is, is even a midweek, they were like, no, we have guys who we are more comfortable are not going to tax our bullpen because we're going to have to go out there and go get them right away. And that's, that's the situation with him. He's taken that step forward. It actually, again, I would say it worked out for him because – Garrett Williams is in the top 10 for them. Bostick and Woods were both top 30 prospects for them. I mean not Bostick. Crook and Woods were both top 30 prospects for them, who they now have already traded and gotten back Evan Longoria in the deal. So it really worked out pretty well for them. That again, the last two drafts, I've liked some of the things
1: they've done. You know, when you get your prospect handbooks, you'll see our grades and you'll notice, you know, Elliot, Elliot Ramos is is the highest upside grade on this on this list, but and As well you earned. mentioned, Garrett Williams is the second highest. Now, there's other guys ranked ahead of him because of the risk factors. Involved. They have less they risk, are. but yes. but this he is. is the guy who absolutely has it. You know, we've talked about the Giants and their left field hole, which has been an issue for years. Mentioned now they're probably going to have a center field hole. They have three outfielders that you put in the top ten, all mm-hmm. different levels of the system You know, behind Chris Shaw. You have Brian Reynolds, Stephen Duggar, Sandra Fabian, all different, very different players, different levels. But they all
0: have – they're very different players, but at the same time – they are all guys who fit what we we're talking about, which is is that the normal Giants outfielder. You're not going the power is not the first thing you talk about. And I think that's true of all three of those guys.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, so when it comes down to you know you're making your scout calls, how did you suss them out? You had Reynolds fifth in the system, Duggar eighth, Fabian ninth. Well,
0: I, the easy part of that is is Fabian. Guys like Fabian. Scouts who I talked to for the last couple of years have liked Fabian. At the same time. He had a sub-300, now Augusta's a tough place to hit, but he had a sub-300 OBP in low A, further away, but slotting him at the back of this, there's a lot of projection still involved because, yes, he's a really good right fielder defensively, but a right fielder has to mash, and you are projecting, he's shown some power, and he had better second half. He's shown some power already, but you're going to have to also hit some there's to go a with bit of, it.
1: There's a little bit of boomer bust with him. He's
0: got to... Right, right. He, right, he he walked ten times in 122 games. That's going to have to improve. Yes, that guys don't do that long term and have big league success generally. So we know. So he's, that's he's that's, the that's back. why he's the back. Duggar and Reynolds is tougher. It really is because, really, like I think, Reynolds has just a touch higher upside because. Brian Reynolds is a guy who still, when you talk to scouts, it often comes down to they still have this hope of what he could be. And maybe it's unfair to him. Maybe they keep hoping for him to be something that he's never going to be. But they keep saying, like, man, you could see him being, he has strength in the swing. He has the ability where there could be some significant power to go with a guy who can run some, who, yeah, he strikes out, but the funny thing about this is is he's always hit for pretty good average, too. And maybe that's unfair to him, because maybe it is. It's like they keep ascribing power to him that may never appear.
1: But I will say, you know, one of the things to consider is this is still a guy, it's not like he's gone out in his, you know, first couple years and he's slugged, you know, 400. He's got a 469 slug. There's a lot of doubles there. You start to see some power. You know, 26 doubles, nine triples, 10 home runs, and here's the kicker too. That I, and this is where I actually think people are a little light on him personally, having seen him. San Jose people say, "Oh, Cali, Cali, Cali hitters part hitters hitters league." Not in San Jose. Not at all in San Jose. And here's what Brian Reynolds did away from San Jose last year: 348, 403, 518. Mm-hmm. In San Jose. 272, 322, 406. It's very San Jose, Modesto, it's very tough to hit home runs there. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. But you still saw a 518 slug away from San Jose. Now, some of that, yeah, going down to Lancaster inflates that. But he's in the north. They don't play there that often. Right, yeah. Visalia's a little bit of a hitter's park. But and for the most part... We don't part, have... No, high Desert's no longer high, but in but the league. Bakersfield was more of a hitter's park than one realized, too. So, to me, you see what he could do on the road... Again, it's a different scenario because he's going to have to go play in another pitcher's park in Richmond. San Francisco is a pitcher's park as well. But to me, I think there's more power that is playable than he's given credit for. And he's a good hitter who does everything well enough. To, you know, Talking to a lot of evaluators in the Cal League this year, it was, hey, this guy's going to be an everyday big leaguer. It's just a matter of to what degree.
0: But again, what it comes back to also is, is and this is the difference between him and Duggar, is obviously Duggar's closer. You know, He played last year, basically, the majority of the year at double-A, reached triple-A at the end of the year. But the other thing is, is Duggar's a better center fielder than him. Correct. And Reynolds fits with the Giants. He is that traditional corner outfielder that they've had. The guy who ends up playing right field because they view right field generally as almost another center field in some ways. But, but that is where... I could see the argument, and I debated putting Duggar ahead of Reynolds because he is a little closer. And again, you know, he is a center fielder. Not again; he's not going to be that. They, they, there was talks that they were looking at Billy Hamilton. He's not a Billy Hamilton. He's not anything like that. But he can play center. Again, with him, there has always been this thought of: can he hit for more power? And you got to say right now. Probably, now again, we are in a crazy world where power all of a sudden appears. You know, hey, launch angle this, and uh, the ball's going to fly in big leagues and all that. Boom, here's 15 homers. But 17 homers in 232 games. And as you said, now Richmond's a tough place to hit home runs, admittedly. But, you know, at, at the same time, and he's had some injury issues, but he's had time in Richmond. He's had two seasons... Two parts of two seasons in San Jose. You are talking about a guy who has not played in just brutal parks year after year. Like I mean, there are the road the road in you know in the cow league should still give you enough to hit more right. than he's struggling to get to double digits. Right, and so that is the limiting the limiting factor with him, where you say, okay, again. It's The Giants list overall, this is not a great farm system. And so when we talk about prospects, we're talking about prospects who have significant strengths and significant warts, weaknesses as well, and it's a balance of those. Almost time and time again.
1: I will say uh, I had a couple scouts in the Arizona Fall League tell me they, they thought of Duggar as kind of the pop-up guy for them. A lot of guys who didn't have, you know, Richmond or Sacramento coverage or uh, just didn't have Giants coverage in general and felt like he was a guy that opened their eyes for the reasons you said. You know, a lot of second division center fielder types, hey, you know, can, can, can do some things for you out there in center field. Puts the bat on the ball enough where you can say, "Yeah, this will work." You know, not again in any kind of standout capacity, Mm but you know, be a fine player. Uh, You know, we're going to wrap up here. Uh, We've gone through most of the top ten. We talked a lot about, you know, is this the worst worst farm system in baseball? The answer is no. no. Not it's not. Now, you know, we haven't
0: talked about the worst
1: farm system in baseball. That's That's still coming down the road. But where is this? 20, what well, you, well, you'll see our organization talent right. rankings. I, in the what handbook, I'll say is, is this, this is 27th, 24th, 20th. How do you no, no see it's it? worse than uh, it, this? Is this is one of the weaker farm
0: systems in the game because right now, when you look at where they are right now, and again, you know, it at what you have at the top is more important, depth is nice, but what you have at the top is more important than that. And this system, right now, you've got Elliott Ramos, who is a top hundred pro- caliber prospect. Now, and we're saying top hundred because the fact that a guy who went, you know, I think it was seventeenth in the draft last year, is going to make the top hundred in his debut season, is significant. There's, there's not going to be seventeen draftees from this draft Correct. who jump right in the top hundred. So that's a great pick for them. But that's the that's probably the lone top hundred so, guy they have.
1: I'll give you guys a spoiler. I do consider Shaw as like you know number 95. 90, right. 95. I he do. could
0: crack the very back of the, the list. I'd say it's unlikely, but and then you're done.
1: Like And there's not an argument. As much as you can say I like this about Tyler Beattie, I like this for Brian Reynolds, there's not an argument for them in that caliber.
0: No. And so what happens is, is okay, so you're talking about that. Now that puts them better, there are some systems who are gonna get shut out. They're not gonna get shut out. But again, when you talk about the difference between there are a whole lot of systems where number four, number five, number six on their top ten
1: will be cracking the top hundred.
0: So that right or there are
1: at least in strong consideration. Right.
0: And so I mean we'll have we'll have at least five organizations that have five plus guys on the top hundred. I feel that's pretty comfortable saying that. So so what I'm saying is this, yes, this is a this is a system. Now, again, let's say that they are in it this year. And, they, you know, again, they've got... A, the thing I would say is is we're recording this. This is how slow the free agent markets move. We're recording this. Now we're in the second week of January. And Defense. if you describe the Giants offseason, I would describe it very much as we still don't know what they're doing. What, not what they're doing. We don't know what direction they're going in. Because, now, again, it would involve a lot of big checks, but if they went out there and added a Lorenzo Cain, or they went out there and added, they're a, a JD Martinez. I don't think they're going to do that. But you know, there all of a sudden there's a lot of The dynamic changes. The dynamic if they go out there in the free agent market and they add a significant free agent, that changes the dynamic. Because right now, as it stands, it's very hard for me to believe. As you talked about their outfit, it's very hard for me to believe that they're going to hold stand pat on where they are right now in The outfield because if they do,
1: if they so do, there. are Steven Duggar
0: is making the jump a long, long way, you know, to, to get to the big leagues because he basically he has some double A time under his belt,
1: but that's about it. Well, I mean, Shaw, Shaw will be there first, he's been triple I'm saying, A. I'm saying, but Duggar, they w- a, have to have a center fielder, right? they have to have a center fielder, and, and that's Chris where, Shaw can't do that. That's correct.
0: Chris Shaw could you could pencil him in on the left, I do think, or you. <laughs> I maybe say, maybe I the say- jury's not out on Mac Williamson and Jarrett Parker, but the jury's probably a little bit out on Mac Williamson. And Jarrett. But you're talking about those guys being the mix. What I'm saying is, is I don't see, I see them. I don't see them going into the season saying that our plan is is Chris Shaw with a fallback of Williamson or Parker. Correct. I think them them going into the season saying, at least we have someone who is going to start the season. And
1: maybe Chris Shaw forces his way into that. Or if we acquire him by July, we're out of it, trade him and bring him up. We'll see. It should definitely be an interesting I, rest of the offseason for the Giants. I was just say the
0: other thing I would say for this Giants list though, you know, we we talked about the top ten. There are a couple of interesting to me very interesting guys. A quick quick hit, top two. Oh, the two guys were fascinating that were not in the top ten. You know, uh, Alexander Canario, who has yet to play in the States, and Gregory Santos, who they picked up uh, in trade, those are the two who, if you told me a year from now that both of those guys are easily in their top five, wouldn't stun me. Because those are, when you talk about the upside guys who are a long ways away, those are guys, they have some, they always have had arms in the system who can throw hard. Reyes, they, Marantza, Rodolfo Martinez is still around. You know, they they always have had that, and they still do. Um, so there are some of those, but Canario is the guy who, if you told me that he is a year from now, if Ramos has a good year, he's number two on this list. Again, that's asking a lot. The guys get to play above the DSL. But he had a really good DSL. He's tooled up beyond belief. Again, really what it is more than anything is, is that there's a limit to how high you're going to go. Till you make it to the states and put up those numbers, because we're talking about the
1: A.Z.L. next year. Right. So, we'll see what happens. Well, I think that'll about do it for this edition of our uh, Prospects Podcast for Kyle for JJ Cooper. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, Giants fans. Stay tuned. We'll have a lot more podcasts to come.